This is section 117 of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain, section 117, The Galaxy, October 1870, part 1. The Galaxy, October 1870. Memoranda by Mark Twain. The Reception at the President's. After I had drifted into the White House with the flood-tide of humanity that had been washing steadily up the street for an hour, I obeyed the orders of the soldier at the door and the policeman within, and banked my hat and umbrella with a colored man, who gave me a piece of brass with a number on it, and said that that thing would reproduce the property at any time of the night. I doubted it, but I was on unknown ground now, and must be content to take a good many chances." Another person told me to drop in with the crowd, and I would come to the President presently. I joined, and we drifted along till we passed a certain point, and then we thinned out to double and single file. It was a right gay scene, and a right stirring and lively one, for the whole place was brightly lighted, and all down the great hall, as far as one could see, was a restless and writhing multitude of people. The women powdered, painted, jeweled, and splendidly upholstered, and many of the men gilded with the insignia of great naval, military, and ambassadorial rank. It was bewildering. Our long line kept drifting along, and by and by we came in sight of the President and Mrs. Grant. They were standing up shaking hands and trading civilities with our procession. I grew somewhat at home little by little and then I began to feel satisfied and contented. I was getting to be perfectly alive with interest by the time it came my turn to talk with the President. I took him by the hand, and looked him in the eye, and said, "'Well, I reckon I see you at last, General. I have said as much as a thousand times out in Nevada that if ever I went home to the States I would just have the private satisfaction of going and saying to you by word of mouth that I thought you was considerable of a soldier, anyway. Now you know, out there we—I turned round and said to the fellow behind me, Now look here, my good friend, how the nation do you suppose I can talk with any sort of satisfaction with you crowding me this way? I am surprised at your manners. He was a modest-looking creature, he said. But you see, the whole procession stopped. They're crowding up on me. I said, Some people have got more cheek. Just suggest to the parties behind you to have some respect for the place they are in, and not try to shove in on a private conversation. What the General and me are talking about ain't of the least interest to them. Then I resumed with the President. Well, 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 now, this is fine. This is what I call something like gay. Well, I should say so, and so this is what you call a presidential reception. I'm free to say that it just lays over anything that ever I saw out in the sagebrush. I have been to Governor Nye's engine receptions at Honey Lake and Carson City many and many a time. He that's Senator Nye now. You know him, of course. I never saw a man in all my life that Jim Nye didn't know. And not only that, but he could tell him where he knew him, and all about him, family included, even if it was forty years ago. Most remarkable man, Jim Nye, remarkable. He can tell a lie with that purity of accent, and that grace of utterance, and that convincing emotion. I turned again and said, "'My friend, your conduct surprises me. I have come three thousand miles to have a word with the President of the United States upon subjects with which you are not even remotely connected, and by the living G. Willikins, 
I can't proceed with any sort of satisfaction on account of your cussed crowding. Will you just please to go a little slow now, and not attract so much attention by your strange conduct? If you had any eyes you could see how the bystanders are staring. He said, But I tell you, sir, it's the people behind. They are just growling and surging and shoving, and I wish I was in Jericho, I do. I said, I wish you was myself. You might learn some delicacy of feeling in that ancient seat of civilization, maybe. Drat if you don't need it. And then I resumed with the President. Yes, sir, I've been at receptions before, plenty of them, old Nye's Injun receptions, but they warn't as starchy as this by considerable. No great long strings of high flyers like these galoots here, you know, but old high-flavored washoes and Paiutes, each one of them as powerful as a rag factory on fire. Phew! Those were halcyon days. Yes, indeed, General, and, madam, many and many's the time, out in the wilds of Nevada, I've been— Perhaps you had better discontinue your remarks till another time, sir, as the crowd behind you are growing somewhat impatient, the President said. Do you hear that? I said to the fellow behind me. I suppose you will take that hint, anyhow. I tell you, he is milder than I would be. If I was President, I would waltz you people out the back door if you came crowding a gentleman this way that I was holding a private conversation with. And then I resumed with the President. I think that hint of yours will start them. I never saw people act so. It is really about all I can do to hold my ground with that mob shoving up behind. But don't you worry on my account, General. Don't give yourself any uneasiness about me. I can stand it as long as they can. I've been through this kind of a mill before. Why, as I was just saying to you many and many a time out in the wilds of Nevada, I have been at Governor Nye's Injun receptions. And between you and me that old man was a good deal of a governor. Take him all round. I don't know what for senator he makes, though I think you'll admit that him and Bill Stewart and Tom Fitch take a bigger average of brains into that capital up yonder, by a hundred and fifty-fold, than any other state in America, according to population. Now that is so. Those three men represent only twenty or twenty-five thousand people. Bless you, the least little bit of a trifling ward in the city of New York casts two votes to Nevada's one. And yet those three men haven't their superiors in Congress for straight-out, simon-pure brains and ability. And if you could just have been at one of old Nye's Injun receptions and seen those savages—not high flyers like these, you know, but frowsy old bummers with nothing in the world on in the summertime but an old battered plug hat and a pair of spectacles—I tell you it was a swell affair, was one of Governor Nye's early-day receptions. Many and many's the time I have been to them, and seen him stand up and beam and smile on his children, as he called them in his motherly way, beam on them by the hour out of his splendid eyes, and fascinate them with his handsome face, and comfort them with his persuasive tongue, seen him stand up there and tell them anecdotes and lies, and quote Watts hymns to them, until he just took the war spirit all out of them and grim chiefs that came two hundred miles to tax the whites for whole wagon-loads of blankets and things, or make eternal war if they didn't get them, he has sent away bewildered with his inspired mendacity, and perfectly satisfied and enriched with an old hoop-skirt or two, a lot of patent-office reports, and a few sides of condemned army bacon that they would have to chain up to a tree when they camped, or the skippers would walk off with them. I tell you, he is a rattling talker, 
talk it's no name for it he well he is bound to launch straight into close quarters and a heap of trouble hereafter of course we all know that but you can rest satisfied that he will take off his hat and put out his hand and introduce himself to the king of darkness perfectly easy and comfortable and let on that he has seen him somewhere before and he will remind him of parties he used to know and things that's slipped out of his memory and he'll tell him a thousand things that he can't help taking an interest in and every now and then he will just gently mix in an anecdote that will fetch him if there's any laugh in him he will indeed and jim nye will chip in and help cross-question the candidates and he will just hang around and hang around and hang around getting more and more sociable all the time and doing this that and the other thing in the handiest sort of way till he has made himself perfectly indispensable and then the very first thing you know i wheeled and said my friend your conduct grieves me to the heart a dozen times at least your unseemly crowding has seriously interfered with the conversation i am holding with the president and if the thing occurs again i shall take my hat and leave the premises i wish to the mischief you would where did you come from anyway that you've got the unutterable cheek to spread yourself here and keep fifteen hundred people standing waiting half an hour to shake hands with the president an officer touched me on the shoulder and said move along please you're annoying the president beyond all patience you have blocked the procession and the people behind you are getting furious come move along please rather than have trouble i moved along so i had no time to do more than look back over my shoulder and say yes sir and the first thing they would know jim nye would have that place and the salary doubled i do reckon he is the handiest creature about making the most of his chances that ever found an all-sufficient substitute for mother's milk in politics and sin now that is the kind of man old nye is and in less than two months he would talk every but i can't make you hear the rest general without hollering too loud the galaxy october eighteen seventy memoranda by mark twain goldsmith's friend abroad again note no experience is set down in the following letters which had to be invented fancy is not needed to give variety to the history of a chinaman's sojourn in america plain fact is amply sufficient letter one shanghai eighteen blank dear ching foo it is all settled and i am to leave my oppressed and overburdened native land and cross the sea to that noble realm where all are free and all equal and none reviled or abused america america whose precious privilege it is to call herself the land of the free and the home of the brave we and all that are about us here look over the waves longingly contrasting the privations of this our birthplace with the opulent comfort of that happy refuge we know how america has welcomed the germans and the frenchmen and the stricken and sorrowing irish and we know how she has given them bread and work and liberty and how grateful they are and we know that america stands ready to welcome all other oppressed peoples and offer her abundance to all that come without asking what their nationality is or their creed or color and without being told it we know that the foreign sufferers she has rescued from oppression and starvation are the most eager of her children to welcome us because having suffered themselves they know what suffering is 
and having been generously succored they long to be generous to other unfortunates and thus show that magnanimity is not wasted upon them ah sung he letter two at sea eighteen hundred blank dear ching foo we are far away at sea now on our way to the beautiful land of the free and home of the brave we shall soon be where all men are alike and where sorrow is not known the good american who hired me to go to his country is to pay me twelve dollars a month which is immense wages you know twenty times as much as one gets in china my passage in the ship is a very large sum indeed it is a fortune and this i must pay myself eventually but i am allowed ample time to make it good to my employer in he advancing it now for a mere form i have turned over my wife my boy and my two daughters to my employer's partner for security for the payment of the ship fare but my employer says they are in no danger of being sold for he knows i will be faithful to him and that is the main security i thought i would have twelve dollars to begin life with in america but the american consul took two of them for making a certificate that i was shipped on the steamer he has no right to do more than charge the ship two dollars for one certificate for the ship with the number of her chinese passengers set down in it but he chooses to force a certificate upon each and every chinaman and put the two dollars in his pocket as one thousand three hundred of my countrymen are in this vessel the consul received two thousand six hundred dollars for the certificates my employer tells me that the government at washington know of this fraud and are so bitterly opposed to the existence of such a wrong that they tried hard to have the extortion the fee i mean legalized by the last congress note pacific and mediterranean steamship bills ed mem but as the bill did not pass the consul will have to take the fee dishonestly until next congress makes it legitimate it is a great and good and noble country and hates all forms of vice and chicanery we are in that part of the vessel always reserved for my countrymen it is called the steerage it is kept for us my employer says because it is not subject to changes of temperature and dangerous draughts of air it is only another instance of the loving unselfishness of the americans for all unfortunate foreigners the steerage is a little crowded and rather warm and close but no doubt it is best for us that it should be so yesterday our people got to quarrelling among themselves and the captain turned a volume of hot steam upon a mass of them and scalded eighty or ninety of them more or less severely flakes and ribbons of skin came off some of them there was wild shrieking and struggling while the vapor enveloped the great throngs and so some who were not scalded got trampled upon and hurt we do not complain for my employer says this is the usual way of quieting disturbances on board the ship and that it is done in the cabins among the americans every day or two congratulate me ching foo in ten days more i shall step upon the shore of america and be received by her great-hearted people and i shall straighten myself up and feel that i am a free man among freemen ah sung he letter three san francisco eighteen hundred blank dear ching foo i stepped ashore jubilant i wanted to dance shout sing worship the generous land of the free and home of the brave but as i walked from the gangplank a man in a gray uniform note policeman 
kicked me violently behind and told me to look out, so my employer translated it. As I turned, another officer of the same kind struck me with a short club and also instructed me to look out. I was about to take hold of my end of the pole, which had mine and Hong Wo's basket and things suspended from it, when a third officer hit me with his club to signify that I was to drop it, and then kicked me to signify that he was satisfied with my promptness. Another person came now, and searched all through our basket and bundles, emptying everything out on the dirty wharf. Then this person and another searched us all over. They found a little package of opium sewed into the artificial part of Hong Wo's queue, and they took that, and also they made him prisoner and handed him over to an officer who marched him away. They took his luggage, too, because of his crime, and as our luggage was so mixed together that they could not tell mine from his, they took it all. When I offered to help divide it, they kicked me and desired me to look out. Having now no baggage and no companion, I told my employer that, if he was willing, I would walk about a little and see the city and the people until he needed me. I did not like to seem disappointed with my reception in the good land of refuge for the oppressed, and so I looked and spoke as cheerily as I could. But he said, wait a minute. I must be vaccinated to prevent my taking the smallpox. I smiled and said I had already had the smallpox, as he could see by the marks, and so I need not wait to be vaccinated, as he called it but he said it was the law, and I must be vaccinated anyhow. The doctor would never let me pass, for the law obliged him to vaccinate all Chinamen and charge them ten dollars apiece for it, and I might be sure that no doctor who would be the servant of that law would let a fee slip through his fingers to accommodate any absurd fool who had seen fit to have the disease in some other country. And presently the doctor came and did his work and took my last penny, my ten dollars, which were the hard savings of nearly a year and a half of labor and privation. Ah, if the lawmakers had only known there were plenty of doctors in the city glad of a chance to vaccinate people for a dollar or two, they would never have put the price up so high against a poor friendless Irish or Italian or Chinese pauper fleeing to the good land to escape hunger and hard times. Ah, Song He. Letter 4 San Francisco, 1800, blank. Dear Ching Fu, I have been here about a month now, and am learning a little of the language every day. My employer was disappointed in the matter of hiring us out to service on the plantations in the far eastern portion of this continent. His enterprise was a failure, and so he set us all free, merely taking measures to secure to himself the repayment of the passage money which he paid for us. We are to make this good to him out of the first monies we earn here. He says it is sixty dollars apiece. We were thus set free about two weeks after we reached here. We had been massed together in some small houses up to that time, waiting. I walked forth to seek my fortune. I was to begin life a stranger in a strange land, without a friend, or a penny, or any clothes but those I had on my back. I had not any advantage on my side in the world, not one except good health, and the lack of any necessity to waste any time or anxiety on the watching of my baggage. No, I forget, I reflected that I had one prodigious advantage over paupers in other lands. I was in America. I was in the heaven-provided refuge of the oppressed and the forsaken. Just as that comforting thought passed through my mind, 
some young men set a fierce dog on me. I tried to defend myself, but could do nothing. I retreated to the recess of a closed doorway, and there the dog had me at his mercy, flying at my throat and face or any part of my body that presented itself. I shrieked for help, but the young men only jeered and laughed. Two men in gray uniforms—policemen is their official title—looked on for a minute, and then walked leisurely away. But a man stopped them, and brought them back, and told them it was a shame to leave me in such distress. Then the two policemen beat off the dog with small clubs, and a comfort it was to be rid of him, though I was just rags and blood from head to foot. The man who brought the policemen asked the young men why they abused me in that way, and they said they didn't want any of his meddling. And they said to him, "'This ching devil comes till Ameriky to take the bread out of decent, intelligent white men's mouths, and when they try to defend their rights there's a dale of fuss made about it. They began to threaten my benefactor, and as he saw no friendliness in the faces that had gathered meanwhile, he went on his way. He got many a curse when he was gone. The policemen now told me I was under arrest and must go with them. I asked one of them what wrong I had done to any one that I should be arrested, and he only struck me with his club and ordered me to hold my yop. With a jeering crowd of street-boys and loafers at my heels, I was taken up an alley and into a stone-paved dungeon which had large cells all down one side of it, with iron gates to them. I stood up by a desk while a man behind it wrote down certain things about me on a slate. One of my captors said, "'Enter a charge against this Chinaman of being disorderly and disturbing the peace.' I attempted to say a word, but he said, "'Silence! Now you had better go slow, my good fellow.' This is two or three times you've tried to get off some of your damned insolence. Lip won't do here. You've got to simmer down, and if you don't take to it paceable, we'll see if we can't make you. Fat's your name? Ah Sung Hee. Alias what? I said I did not understand, and he said what he wanted was my true name, for he guessed I picked up this one since I stole my last chickens. They all laughed loudly at that. Then they searched me. They found nothing, of course. They seemed very angry, and asked who I supposed would go my bail or pay my fine. When they explained these things to me, I said I had done nobody any harm, and why should I need to have bail or pay a fine? Both of them kicked me and warned me that I would find it to my advantage to try and be as civil as convenient. I protested that I had not meant anything disrespectful. Then one of them took me to one side and said, "'Now look here, Johnny. It's no use you playing softly with us.' We main business, you know, and the sooner ye put up on the scent of a V, the easier ye'll save yourself from a dale of trouble. Ye can't get out of this for any less. Who's your friends? I told him I had not a single friend in all of the land of America, and that I was far from home and help and very poor, and I begged him to let me go. He gathered the slack of my blouse collar in his grip and jerked and shoved and hauled at me across the dungeon and then, unlocking an iron cell-gate, thrust me in with a kick, and said, "'Rot there, you fur and spawn, till you learn that there's no room in America for the likes of you or your nation.'" Ah Sung He End of section 117